You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 403 of the Battery Power podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowling, coming to you on a Sunday evening, June 11th, and I am joined for the first time in what feels like six months by my gallivanting friend, Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, Brad. Doing well. Happy to be back. I want to thank you for holding it down. For any of the guests who filled in for me while I was away, I really do appreciate it. And a very good week for the Braves. There's certainly a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, no real guests. It was all in the family, unless you count Eric Cole, who doesn't really count as a guest at this point in time. But uh, I made sure to make fun of you enough every Sunday, uh, calling everyone that replaced you an upgrade on you. And that's that's kind of the way things go. I should also say, Scott's not feeling well. So, Scott, thank you for the flu game performance tonight. I do appreciate yeah. it. Michael Jordan, flu game <laughs> episode of the podcast. I will do my best. I, For those who don't know, I've been traveling both overseas and across the U.S. for the better part of a month. I had made it through basically the entire time without being sick or catching a cold, and I've been dealing with a pretty nasty stomach bug the last 48 hours, as Faith would have it. Um, but here I am. Thankfully, it was a good week. Braves <laughs> go 5-1. and one. If they just got swept by the Nats or something, I probably wouldn't be super pumped for this podcast. But um, overall, a really good week for Atlanta, and you know, it seems like – uh, especially the Mets series really set the tone for where that rivalry stands right now. Yeah, we, we have to start there. And uh, there was the usual slate of podcasts uh, this week. Uh, shouts to Sean Coleman in particular for his daily work on this particular podcast network. But we'll go back to the beginning, talk about the Mets series. You mentioned it's five in one week. And part of that is because they swept the Mets in really interesting, weird, really fun fashion. It was a three game sweep in which the Braves erased at least a three-run deficit in each and every one of those games. I'll give the stat right now from the Elias Sports Bureau. It's the first time since 1900, so more than 100 years, that the Braves won three straight games after being down at least three runs in all three games. So that in itself is just a bit of trivia. It's obviously a little bit weird that happened. They were all memorable comebacks. Uh, I think it peaked on Thursday with perhaps the game of the year. But anytime you could beat anybody in that fashion and sweep anybody. I mean, obviously, nothing's a given. The Braves just lost a series to the Oakland Athletics not that long ago. Uh, but to go ahead and do that against the Mets um, makes it even sweeter and more interesting. And, like, we'll get into all of the games. But truly, I mean, they, they it was a history-making series. And not just because they swept them, but because of how they did it. Um, the memories of the uh, you know the throw it again meme that kind of created out of this week it had really everything going for it. 
Yeah. And it really felt like despite it being a series in the second week of June, you don't want to overstate the importance of a couple of games when it's still fairly early on in the calendar. So it really felt like a big series for the Mets and more so than it was for the Braves. The Mets, of course, are now eight or nine games back in the standings. And while there's plenty of time, it really felt like it was a series that the Mets needed to come in and at least win one. And you mentioned, of course, the sweep, the Braves for the first time and basically ever come back to win all three games while trailing by three. It was also, I think, the first time in 70 years the Mets had trailed. I'm sorry, the Mets lost three games when winning by three runs or more. So all kinds of historical perspective with the series. And you talk about just a crushing couple of games for New York. I mean, even their broadcast was talking about how <laughs> deflating. I mean, I really like the SNY feed. And, and those guys were talking about how deflating of a week it was in Atlanta. Of course, the last time these two teams met at Truist, it was the sweep to virtually end the division race last year. They come in and despite having both Verlander and Scherzer on the mound, they're unable to hold those two leads. Um, the Braves' bullpen was terrific. The lineup was good enough until they could score some runs late. And the starting pitching did its job other than a very fluky, bad start from Spencer Strider. So all things considered, to sweep New York, it just had to be a real blow. The Mets ended up losing two out of three this weekend as well to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, so again, you don't want to overestimate or overstate the importance of a series in June, but it really did feel like it took some wind out of the Mets' sails. Yeah, and uh, to follow up on what you said about the the history of this, uh, the recent history of the of the series, the Braves are now eleven and two against the Mets in the last thirteen games, nine and one at Truist, and they've won seven consecutive games against New York. It's gone very well. Um, you know, Tuesday we'll start there briefly. I know it's been covered on this podcast feed already, but the the big rally there was. After the throw it again thing. So if you somehow missed this, I know Scott was still uh, gallivanting, but uh, Pete Alonzo was chirping basically and asking for another slider from Bryce Elder. Throw it again is the meme. Elder was not particularly sharp on Tuesday. Uh, the Braves were down four to one. And right after that, the Braves had a big rally in the sixth. They scored four runs and uh, Elder settled in, pitched well after that. And uh, once the bullpen got, it, got a hold of this one, they were able to close it out. Uh, is it me? Okay, I guess we'll we'll put our future facing hats on here. Do you think in I don't know five years you will remember the phrase "throw it again"? And if if so, like it, why? I mean, you know, I mean, it's obviously it was a, it was a cool moment. It's one of those things that like I'm always fascinated to see like what sticks and what doesn't because, like you said, it's a game in it's a game in June. Uh, maybe it's because of the rest of the series how that went, but uh, there were T-shirts made. I saw that uh, wrapped around, and the T-shirt economy is going strong around the Braves, but. Is this going to be one of those things that like sticks forever, or is it going to be one of those flash in the pan things? Do you think? Uh, I tend to think it was one of those flash in the pan things. Um, I don't know how you feel, Brad. I mean, it was it was great the fact that Braves were able to make a comeback and win. I will say though, I think the casual fan might be a little shocked to hear the things that are said in a baseball dugout. <laughs> or yeah. I remember, I mean, you cover the NBA extensively i know it was probably oh boy seven or eight years ago i sat in the row behind an nba bench you would be shocked at the amount of things that are said on an nba basketball court i can guarantee you there is an insane amount of smack talk that happens in in a dugout so the fact that the cameras and the microphones picked it up probably amplified just how quickly it caught on 
but hey, you know, Bryce Elder handled it well. They, he was asked post game about it, and Elder said, "Hey, if you hit a ball to the second concourse off me, I'd probably be chirping too." So overall, yes, Alonzo hit the crap out of the ball. It was nice that the Braves mounted that rally. A couple of really big hits in that inning. And the bullpen did a phenomenal job, which was a theme this week. The bullpen did a really nice job in relief of Elder, keep it close enough, hold that lead, and then ultimately get that first win. Yeah, that's well said, I think. Uh, you know, Maybe it'll be one of those things that sticks. Well, I don't know, but it was a lot of fun nonetheless because it was Alonzo who is, of course, like the main foil in some respects, like maybe maybe Nemo or whoever, but Alonzo's their best player, so uh, at least in some ways. And uh, that being the culprit and all that stuff was fun. Um, so Wednesday was another a very similar archetype raves down four one in the fifth um you know a big home run by sean murphy michael harris had uh, i think pretty easily his best game of the season on wednesday he had the game tying double and the eventual game winning home run also this is kind of crazy i know he was hurt for a while but it was only his first three hit game of the season that's that sounds impossible to me in mid-june but he's been obviously pretty bad at the plate this season so uh i think that's probably the headliner for me of that particular game was michael harris breaking out but another game where they're down three runs in the fifth and without great starting pitching morton was just okay not not great by any means and they just kind of pulled out yeah and with harris it and it's well documented at this at this point but with harris it feels like he is just hitting the baseball really hard and it's just somehow finding a glove. So the fact that he was able to have a mini breakout on Wednesday night, you mentioned the double, the home run to win it in the eighth. It felt like it was coming for Michael. And he continued to hit pretty well over the weekend. He had a couple of balls that were hit very well that were somehow caught, including a ball that was about a foot away from being a home run on Sunday afternoon. And it goes without saying that if Michael Harris can get back to the level he was producing last year, or even close to it, it's only going to give the lineup that much more depth. A very, very talented kid, hits the ball hard. The defense has been superb once again. Just feels like he's run into some bad luck this year. He's seen about a 70-point drop on his batting average and balls in play. Uh, and, we, and we expected some kind of regression from Michael because he did have a fairly fortunate year last year with the way the ball bounced. But overall, I feel like it's probably exaggerated at this point. And let's hope he finishes the first half strong and then puts together the kind of second half that we were all expecting. Yeah, I would co-sign that in a big way. Talked about him a little, a little bit last week as well. And I think it's coming for Michael Harris. Um, offline, we talked about this earlier, you and I. I think Thursday was the game of the year so far for the Braves. Um, it's hard to pick one from this series even. But uh, part of it maybe was that there was a little bit of uh, you know off-field stuff, you know, the they had the booth going with Chipper, Glavin, and Smoltz together with Francoeur, which was very interesting. Um, definitely a different way to watch a broadcast with like no traditional play-by-play man. But them being there, um, obviously the comeback nature, the fact that Strider was really bad, actually. Probably the worst start of his career. He allowed eight runs. The Mets have kind of, of all things, they've teed off on Strider um, in his career so far. But the Braves were down 6-3, 9-5, and 10-6. In a game, they also led 3-0. And they still came back to win. So, I mean, there was so much going on here. The walk-off with Ozzy, um, I don't even know where to start. Like, it was it was an absolutely insane confluence of events 
I think maybe even more so magnified because it was the third straight game of this, but um, it had all the makings of like the rare game that you actually do remember. Like in October, we could be looking back at like this weird game in June and actually like recalling it. At least uh, that seems like something that only happens once, once, once or twice a year. And that might've been the one of the season, honestly. I'm not saying that definitely, but given all of the craziness that happened, the booth, all that stuff, it seems like kind of a one of a kind night. Yeah. Well, and you said it's probably the game of the year for the Braves. I mean, it was one of the best games of the entire baseball season. <laughs> Maybe, so yeah. Far. Uh, I loved the highlights and in hearing Chipper, Glavin, Smoltz, and Francoeur, um, all of them practicing their home run calls. And, <laughs> uh, you know, just there, there was a little like John Smoltz kind of got into his grumpy old man thing a couple of times. And, uh, you know, but overall, the, the booth was great. Um, Chipper was, I mean, anytime Chipper Jones talks about hitting, I'm always fascinated. Of course, he's just a brilliant mind and, Anytime he can be around the club and, and give his insight is always a good thing. Um, yeah, just a crazy baseball game, right? The Mets, you mentioned all of the times they led um, in a game that was started by Spencer Strider and Justin Verlander. I, I guarantee you the, the over-under was not very high going in. Uh, so the Braves to come all the way back and win 13 to 10. I mean, you mentioned there's just so many things to dig into. Um yeah, I mean, where where do you want to start? It was just a wild, wild game. I mean, you got the home runs from Darno and Arcia to tie the game in the eighth and the ninth. Um, just to even extend it, um, they had an incredible bullpen performance from Jimenez and Chavez and Iglesias, and then Ozzy. I mean, obviously, I well, I will cop to my love of Ozzy, but he was the only guy who started in the game without a hit until the walk off in the tenth. It was the third hardest hit ball of his career <laughs> on a walk-off home run against the Mets after all of that craziness. Um, and we could go through the whole, the whole box score, but it was, it really was wild. I mean, Strider gave up a grand slam for the first time in his career and they still won anyway. Uh, he, you know, the Mets have owned him. It was just every, sorry, there were five guys with multiple hits, Riley, Darno, Arcia, Harris, and Acuna. I don't know. We can go through the whole thing, but it was, it was absolutely wild. And uh, again, the punctuation mark of the sweep, throwing it all in there. I, I, I know this is crazy. I'm not, I'm not, not, not surprising, I suppose, in a, in a sweep victory. But the Braves' offense had. I want to let you read these numbers off. But the uh, the the offense was like video game stuff in this three game series. I guess you have to when you need to score all of these comeback runs. But I mean, you couldn't like draw it up. It was insane how good they were. Yeah, and just throughout the lineup, one through nine. It seems like everybody is swinging a good bat right now. Um, I would be remiss to not mention since my last podcast episode that Marcelo Zuna has been oh, awesome. Oh, I forgot to do I forgot how long you've been gone because like we did, as you might imagine, we did a lot of Ozuna talk, but yeah. you're right. It's been, you've been gone and Marcelo Zuna has suddenly become 2020 Marcelo Zuna again. I don't know, I don't know what's going yeah. on there, but it's happened. Yeah. I mean, all it took was me leaving the country, right? Like, uh, yeah, Marcel has been fantastic. Orlando Arcia continues to hit and play really good defense. We we talked about Michael Harris and his encouraging signs. Austin Riley seems like he has figured out his early season slump. I mean, just throughout the lineup, I mean, Ronald Acuna is, is just mashing the baseball single-handedly, won a game on Saturday. Sean Murphy continues to hit. Matt Olson has cooled off a little, but he's still providing power. It really just throughout the entire lineup, it's really fun to watch. And 
anytime you score 26 runs in three games, and not only that, but 26 runs in three games, and you face two first ballot Hall of Famers against Scherzer <laughs> yeah. and Verlander and even Carlos Carrasco, who, while he has struggled this year, has been a good major league pitcher for a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, just reading off these numbers, it had to be just eating Mets fans alive that, I mean, they, they could have, the Braves could have been swept. I mean, that, that's really yeah. how it was. If, if not, if you look at these numbers, you now the Mets at minimum should have won one, maybe two of these games. And that's just something this team has done so, so well during this five plus year run of the division dominance is finding ways to win games, win games. They probably shouldn't have won anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that Thursday game was just wild. Yeah, we'll move on, but uh, just for some reference further on this series offensively, you mentioned 26 runs, eight home runs, a 184 team WRC plus in three games. So basically the team collectively was an MVP caliber player for three, for three games in a row and OPS over a thousand. Uh, Riley, Arcia and Harris all had OPSs over 1300 in the series. They just absolutely raked top to bottom. And yeah, going from it really could have been a sweep in the other direction. That's how perilous things were, but the Braves, for whatever reason, have had their, the Mets number, and they are the best team in the National League East right now, and we'll leave it there for now. Uh, we'll get into the second half of the week, which was almost a sweep, too, in a positive direction, but not quite. They won the series. We'll get into all of what happened in Braves' Nats, as well as they look forward to the rest of the week that's coming up in the future. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Scott, let us change gears and talk about Braves Nationals. I'm going to start with a non-Nationals topic briefly because um, while you were also gone, the Braves called up Michael Soroka. He pitched twice, and then sent him back, and then they sent him back down again. Uh, I will first plug a written piece written by uh, written by Ivan, who's fantastic. He does not have Twitter and does not have social media, and I make fun of him about that sometimes. He is uh, an incredible analyst of baseball and Braves baseball. He wrote a great piece about Soroka and how he was uh, his, his stuff was not sinking, all that stuff. I would definitely encourage you to read that for more in depth analysis of Soroka's two starts. But in short, he was not very good in those two starts. He had more walks and strikeouts. Uh, he was giving up about a run an inning, etc. I know you were uh, out and about for some of this, but uh, you missed the whole news cycle of Soroka. I'm not saying he's going to be down for good now, but the fact that he was sent down is a topic in itself. And then there's the topic of who replaced him, a 20-year-old. So uh, a lot has happened in the, in the last three or four weeks. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I remember Soroka's debut came in Oakland 
And I was somewhere in Europe at this point. And I think his start was at three in the morning <laughs> yeah. over there with the time change. And I almost set an alarm to watch it. It Funny enough, just a, a funny little anecdote. I know that baseball fans have this never ending battle with blackouts and MLB TV. Um, you can live 15 minutes away from Truist Park and you're blacked out from Braves games. But if you're rolling around to Amsterdam, you have no trouble watching. Uh, there was there was one night where I could not sleep with the time change and it was like 2 a.m. and the Braves were on and I said why not what well, you know I'm on vacation who cares if I'm a little tired and I watched the final like four innings of a game I think it was one of the Phillies games um, so yeah fun baseball might have an issue where you can easily stream games in the Netherlands but not in uh, the suburbs of Atlanta uh, but I I digress but um, you know my my quick take on Mike Soroka and you mentioned Ivan the Great who does phenomenal work on battery power. Uh, yeah. This stuff just wasn't there, you know, and I think it, with Mike, it was an opportunity for him to see where his stuff was at, at the highest level. He has been okay in Gwinnett and hopefully he continues to improve. Uh, but as we sort of suspected, as he is trying to come back from this, um, you know, he, he just has the odds are stacked against him to get back to the level he once was at. And hopefully this was just a road bump on the way uh, but clearly he was just not ready for the majors. And and at some point this summer, let's hope that Mike's able to come back up and make an impact. Agreed. And uh, yeah, I mean, no reason to bury him, but you know, based on what he looked like, I wasn't perturbed. They sent him down. Like you couldn't just, you can't just let him go without any checks. And I'm sure they'll, they'll have a plan for him. And, um, you know, Smith Shaver, who we'll get to right now, um, comes up. I mean, not out of nowhere. He was obviously a, a known prospect who was high on, on our guys list at battery power, but the fact that he was, you know, fast tracked to the to the majors. In fact, a week ago on this podcast, we talked about him maybe starting in like August, <laughs> and then like three days later, he was being called up to start. Um, sorry, called from the bullpen to start. Um, no issue with me. I mean, he obviously pitched uh, pretty well in his debut. Uh, allowed two runs, but zero of them were earned. A couple of errors behind him. Uh, had two walks, two strikeouts. I noticed, you know, again, I'm not a pitching expert, but I, I didn't think he located his like secondary off speed stuff very well. He did not hit his spots there, but I was impressed by his general face fastball command that allowed him to pitch pretty well. And uh, a fun stat for you because uh, I'm older than you, but you're old enough to understand who this is. Anyway, he uh, Smith Shaver at 20 is the youngest person on the Braves to throw at least five innings in a game since Steve Avery in 1990. Scott, uh, were you alive? I don't think you were. Um, no, there you go. I was not almost. I was almost alive, but no, I was <laughs> not around yet. So it's been a little while since uh, someone did that for the Braves, and obviously, it's a little bit. Uh, honestly, for anyone, it would be stunning to have a guy pitch for a contending team. That's a that's an important caveat. Start for a contending team at twenty, but you know he's been fast tracked. He looks great. I have nothing really else to add there. I mean, the Braves won. It was kind of funny after all the craziness against the Mets. I, I you could almost argue that Friday's game was like the most devil magic-y game for the Braves of the of that four-game stretch because the way they won it in the eighth inning was the following. Infield single, single, error, ground out, infield single to tie the game and win the game. <laughs> that's how they won that's how they yeah. won the game on Thursday. <laughs> that's uh, on Friday. Yeah, that's living good. And you know, the go-ahead single by Arcia, I know it was ruled a single, but that probably should have been fielded and thrown it, it, out. It, it, yeah, it was it was generous, let's just say. Yes. But so, we'll take it. Yeah, I mean, from all the uh, we, we read those numbers earlier from the Mets series, how they just they absolutely just raked 
they did not rake on Friday. They just happened to uh, get a good enough pitching performance from Smith Shaver and just a little bit of good fortune at the end of the game to sneak one across at three or two. But hey, another win, and that had been their sixth game in a row. And you know, given all of what could have happened, you know, listen, no matter what you think of, Sh- of Smith Shaver, he could have been overwhelmed. I mean, the guy's twenty years old. He's pitching in a in a divisional game in the majors, and he was. I mean, he wasn't like it wasn't hittable, but he was totally fine. And uh, they won that game and kept the kept things rolling. Yeah, they did. And I, you know, the Braves player development team deserves a big old shout out oh, for yeah. getting Smith Shaver this quickly. I mean, they, they aggressively have moved him through the system and clearly he has the tools and has developed to the point where he can go make a major league start at age 20. Uh, you know, I think there's also something to be said. They called him up against the Nationals. He will now make his second start this upcoming week against the Detroit Tigers, who are one of the worst lineups in the sport. I believe they're dead last in the American League and run scored. So you you put him in a uh, position to be successful. And we'll see how he does against Detroit's lineup on Wednesday. But you know, the fastball is solid. Yeah, clearly, as a 20-year-old, he's not a finished product by any means. He has some development to get through. But you know, anytime the Braves can win these games – where it's a Smith Shaver or a Jared Schuster or whoever it is they're going to give the ball to, it feels like a big win for the team. And let's hope that Max Freed gets back at some point, perhaps even Kyle Wright gets back, uh, because that, that's just kind of the new normal for Atlanta. It was clear that Soroka was not quite ready for the majors, and and I, I don't know how uh, you know, Dylan Dodd is in the mix, but not. You know, I don't think anyone feels great about that. Jared Schuster, who we'll talk about in a minute, has been a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Uh, so, hey, if, if Smith Shaver can give the Braves a good couple of weeks or even months of starts, then they're, you know all the better for the team. Yeah, I and mean, you can't write it in pen. He's going to be in rotation the rest of the year. But if he pitches decently, they're going to roll with him, I'm pretty sure, um, just because of what they don't have around him. I mean, maybe in a world where Freed and Wright are both back and, and flying, then maybe not. But, um, you know, this is a guy who they they found enough – uh, faith in to promote at 20 to start. Uh, I think he's going to be in there for a while if he pitches well. So we'll see. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of funny. Saturday and Sunday's games were a lot quieter in some respects. Saturday was a 6-4 win over the Nationals, the seventh straight win for the Braves. Uh, a couple home runs by Ozuna and Ronnie to break it open. Ronnie was, again, fantastic in that game. He's the MVP frontrunner for a reason. He's been incredible. Uh, you talked about Schuster a second ago. Wild line here for Schuster. Throws five innings, zero strikeouts, zero walks. Uh, you don't often see that in the uh, in the current modern base- baseball landscape to throw five innings, get through five innings, not get torched too badly, a lot of three runs, but no walks, no strikeouts. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's the uh, um, I guess we'll say the fortunate outcome. Yes. Uh, if you don't strike out any batters and you cover five innings, and good on Schuster for covering covering five innings. I'm not sure you can necessarily bank on that as a successful strategy going forward. Um, and we know with Schuster, this is not an, an opportunity to beat up on him, but the stuff isn't very good. Uh, but he's, you know, he's done an okay job filling in in the in the back end of the rotation. The Braves do not need him to be a Cy Young winner. Um, but you know, we, we highlighted his start against Washington. His most recent start before that came against the Oakland A's. And he only has one strikeout over his last 10 and a third innings. <laughs> That's, okay. uh, you know, that, you know, not impossible, right? We're not saying he's, but against better lineups, more times than not, it's going to be a problem. 
Um, but it didn't matter on Saturday. The lineup was good. They beat Mackenzie Gore, who has been really a nice, nice piece for the Nationals this year. Um, and then once again, the bullpen was terrific, led by Jesse Chavez. Yeah. So before we get to the bullpen, uh, just one more number on Schuster. Uh, he has thrown seven starts, 35 and two-thirds innings, so about five innings to start in uh, in his season this year, which is also his major league career to this point. He has 21 strikeouts and 19 walks. I will tell you this right now. He cannot pitch like that. Uh, there, I, I, there's, there's some nuance always with this stuff, but uh, he will not be a major league quality starting pitcher with that ratio. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. So he's got to figure that out on some level. It's worked so honestly it hasn't worked that well so far anyway. His ERA is over five, and his supporting stuff is about in that same range. So he hasn't been torched, but at some point you can't have a basically even strikeout to walk ratio. That's not going to work. So no, nope. I fix that. No, I, I mean I just want to give some love to Jesse Chavez. Oh yeah. He came in in this game in relief of Schuster. I, I believe it was three to one or five to one when he came in and Schuster just given up a couple of runs and Chavez came in and did a phenomenal job. I think he struck out four of the six batters he faced. I mean, if, if he doesn't pitch well, it's a game that could have gotten away from the Braves. And Chavez just at age 39 is somehow as good as he has ever been. And the stuff is never sexy. He's just kind of pumping the, it's a fastball or cutter with some movement. And he just dots the outer part of the plate. And he's just been so good. I don't know how anyone really can explain the Jesse Chavez renaissance with the Braves the last (laughs) few years. But I mean, he's just a fun guy to watch pitch. I mean, he seems like a great dude off the field too. And he just rolls out of bed, throws a couple of warm-up pitchers in the bullpen, and then comes out and gets major leaguers out. And, I mean, it's just been a phenomenal ride. Yeah, I mean, this year, Chavez, in 29 innings, has a 1.55 ERA. Um, that speaks for itself. Here's the here's the crazier one, though. Last three years, Jesse Chavez, in a Braves uniform only, again, only in a Braves uniform, three seasons, 100, 105 innings, 2.14 ERA. Like, what? Insane. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's uh that's absurd, obviously. So I don't know what it is about Jesse. I mean, there was a there was a non-joking conversation this weekend, and, and it wasn't crazy that he could be an all-star this year. And that's it's not crazy. If he does this, again, we're not quite there yet, but if he keeps this up, he might get yeah, it might be a little bit of a of a nod to a to a lengthy career. But yeah, I mean, he literally might, he could be selected as an all-star with the way he's pitched this year. It's insane, but uh, it's still happening. And by the way, uh, I pulled this stat after the end of yesterday's game, and actually it would have improved after today because the, Bra- the Braves allowed no runs in the bullpen. The bullpen in the month of June, so only you know, only 10 games or so, had a 1.19 ERA as of this morning. And again, it's probably better than that now because they allowed no runs today. So probably somewhere in the low ones. Um, if you're looking for a sneaky thing to sort of bank on and ho- and be hopeful about. Yeah, you can't necessarily assume it's going to happen moving forward, but for all of the consternation that we covered while you were gone and also before you were gone about the bullpen, they've been nailed for two weeks. Yeah, and some other guys have stepped up. Um, you know, Joe Jimenez was not very good early on, but he's put together a handful of good appearances in a row. Seems like his velocity is, has ticked up a bit. Um, you know, it's, it just isn't quite there yet for Kirby Yates. I, I don't know if it ever will be there. Um, he had another rough game on Sunday, yeah. um, but other guys, other than really, other than Yates, it's been steady. Um, Colin McHugh was a little shaky early on, but he's been done a nice job. He got a couple of big outs this week. 
Um, and, and AJ Minter. He's found we, it again. Yep. Yeah. As we kind of suspected, he had that horrible stretch of a couple of weeks. Was it May, like early and mid May, where he would come in and seemingly the first five batters would have a hit against him. And I was like, all right, what's going on? But the Braves have stuck with him and he has figured it out. Uh, Rysel Iglesias has seemingly settled in a bit after missing the first month of the year. Nick Anderson continues to be good. Uh, you know, for, for a bullpen that's had some injuries and some inconsistencies, you mentioned how good it's been in June. And and frankly, this team is going to need it when they're down two of their, their normal starting pitchers. Yep. And uh, but Mitchell allowed a run um, in his last outing. But before that, I think it was seven straight or six straight of scoreless outings. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's for the most part has looked pretty good. And um, it's kind of back to it being a relative strength, if even if not um, an absolute dominant one. They've been pretty good back there. You know, today is one that you know no one's thrilled about. Obviously, it's always more fun to record the podcast if they win on Sundays, but they lost today, had a chance at the back-to-back sweeps and an eighth-consecutive win. They were winning this game, actually, but um, Bryce Elder's sixth inning was kind of the story. Um, it was double single home run, ground out single home run to have a 2-1 lead turn into a 6-2 deficit, and that was the final score. So uh, I, don't, I don't really have much to add. Elder, it's back-to-back starts, which he got uh, deep up a little bit. He obviously was always going to regress on some level. I know that was seen as controversial on for some, for some reason. He was never going to be a guy who pitched in the mid ones ERA wise. Now his ERA is 2.69. That is much more reasonable. Um, his peripherals are not quite on that level still, but um, I don't think it's like any reason to panic about Bryce Elder. If you assumed as I did that he was going to regress at some point because it was just not sustainable what he was doing. But look, listen, he still gave them great innings so far in 13 starts. But, um, you know, that's kind of the story of today's game, other than, I guess, the Matt Olson home run in the first inning. That was kind of it for the entire game, honestly. Yeah, and with Elder, you know, we know that he's giving up hard contact, but he's also doing a really good job of keeping the ball on the ground. Yep. Um, coming, coming into Sunday, he was fifth among all qualified major leaguers in ground ball rate. So number five in the league. And, and um, you know, you can give up some hard contact on the ground. Right, it's just when the home run ball starts to come around is when you're a bit concerned. Um, going back to Tuesday night, Elder gave up home runs in a singular inning to Lindor and Alonzo. Um, at that point, he'd only given up four home runs all year before he gave up two homers in an inning against the Mets. Also gave up a home run today. So, sure, I mean, it's not like we're sounding the alarm bells, but there is going to be some some regression built in here with Elder um, but overall, you mentioned a 2.69 ERA. Um, his underlying metrics is FIP and expected ERA are about a run worse than that. But that's okay. I mean, Elder was has been terrific for the team so far. Um, hopefully, he continues to strike out batters. I think that's something that's really given him an opportunity to be successful early on in the year. Um, he only had one strikeout on Sunday, which was a bit odd considering who was in the Nationals lineup. And yeah, frustrating game to let get away, especially when you have a 2-0 lead early on. Um, but, you know, overall, you go 5-1 and one for the week. You win both series. Um, and, you know, here we are in the middle of June, 75 games in, and the Braves are sitting really well in the division. Yeah, sometimes it's pretty simple. The Braves and Nationals had the same number of hits, which was nine, and the same number of walks, which was one in today's game. But the Braves left eight players on base and were 0-4 with runners in scoring position. The Nats hit two home runs and were um, two or three with players in scoring position. So that's the, that's the game for you. 
in a nutshell. But yeah, still a great week, five and one. Uh, the Braves at this very moment on Sunday evening have the they're always they're sorry they're tied for the best record in the National League with Scott's hometown team, the Arizona Diamondbacks. How about that? Um, and also the Braves have the best run differential in the National League. So uh, for all of for some reason, there's still people being uncomfortable or being negative about this team. I I, I guess I mean look, we are uh, predisposed to poking holes when holes need to be poked, but I, I kind of don't understand still. There's just corners of the Braves fan base that are really down on this team for whatever reason, but um, they're playing very well <laughs> right now. Not not a lot to be ex- upset about, especially when you factor in the fact that they're doing this without Max Freed, et cetera. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. I get that too, especially when the Braves lose a game. It's like the world is falling. I joked that earlier today when they lost to the Nationals, it was going to be the apocalypse on Twitter for 24 hours before the next game against the Tigers. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else you could ask for from this team, especially being down Max Freed for most of the year. And this was a guy who was number two in Cy Young voting last year. How many healthy Max Freed starts have we had this season? Like three of them and basically no healthy starts from Kyle Wright. The bullpen has been very Jekyll and Hyde, though recently it's been good, but there have been some real rough patches Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you can ask for. And while the Miami Marlins have done a nice job in the early year, early season, rather, only three and a half games back. But I I don't know about you, Brad. I don't fully buy the Marlins. (laughs) They have a a negative run differential and they have just been like perfect in one run games. That's not something that's going to continue. And and then for the Phillies and the Mets, while we know very well that an, an eight or a nine game lead in June is not insurmountable by any means Uh, the Braves have an eight game lead on Philadelphia and a nine and a half game lead on New York I mean if we would have told anyone that in March that would be the situation going into the second full week in June I mean literally everyone would have taken that so oh yeah are there things to clean up on the roster hopefully guys get a little healthier yes but I mean best record in the National League I don't I don't know what else you could want yeah and Look, baseball is a weird game, and we are predisposed to factoring this stuff in more than some fans do. But if you looked at the sort of Pythagorean or expected win-loss by run differential, which isn't like foolproof by any means, uh, then Marlins are, quote-unquote, supposed to be a 31-35 and 35 team right now. Instead, they're 37-29. and 29. So they've won six games more than their performance would suggest. Um, and they're still three and a half games behind the Braves. If you went by Pythagorean win-loss record, the Braves would have a nine and a half or 10 game lead on the field in the National League East. So um, again, the, the Marlins could do this all year long. I'm not saying they can't, but one more stat for Miami. Uh, Miami has 17 wins in one run games. 17. That is the most in the major leagues by four. The How about this? The Guardians, wow. the Guardians are have 13. They're, second, they're in second place. Cleveland has played 30 one-run games, Scott. 30 one-run games already. That's impossible. Like, yeah. the, the yeah. Guardians... Okay, this is blowing my mind. Sorry uh, for, for the detour. But the Guardians have the second most one-run wins and the most the most one-run losses in the league at the same time. <laughs> that, that sounds like hell. That's impossible. Yeah, like a, good, good like God. Like a mental health... Yeah, yeah, mental health baseball fan perspective. That would like, not be a lot of fun to cover or watch or anything like that. But anyway, um, long story short, the Braves are in a great spot. Um, all the projections still love the Braves. We can do this every week, but we'll do it one more, one quickly here. Fangraphs, 538, et cetera. 
They are a um, deserved large favorite in the division. Doesn't mean they that they can't lose it. Um, all you all you have to do is look back to last year and the Mets were up a billion games. So no one's saying it's over by any means, but the Reds are the best team on paper. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're honestly, they have the best profile right now of any team in the national league. Um, they have the third best run differential in baseball um, behind somehow the Texas Rangers, which is blowing my mind to this day and Tampa Bay is always good. So uh, yeah, good, a good spot to be in. And uh, looking ahead briefly here, Scott, before we get out of here, it's a pretty friendly week overall on paper. I'm sure that sends a chill down the spine of all Braves fans who just lost or who just watched the team lose to Oakland two out of three. But they play in Detroit for three games, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then they're home for Colorado for four. Uh, Detroit is bad. They've lost nine games in a row. And Colorado is currently the team with the, yes, the worst record in the national league. So two opponents, both of which are pretty objectively bad baseball teams. Nothing is assured, but an opportunity for sure. Yeah, definitely an opportunity. I'm trying to think, I cannot recall the last time the Braves played in Detroit. Um, I mean, it's been at least a few years, which you know is a nice feature of this new balanced schedule where you play everyone. Um, so I'm sure the Braves will be represented well in Detroit. Um, you mentioned the Tigers are not good. Um, I think they're going to go with a bullpen game again. They're running yep. back-to-back bullpen games right now, which is crazy. Uh, and you have Morton Strider and Smith Shaver, which is uh, really good, obviously. A little bit of a weird scheduling quirk that I saw a few people pointing out today. They're in Atlanta this weekend. Then they go to Detroit for three games, and then they come back home for four against Colorado. Yep. Uh, not I mean, It's not like they're going all the way across the country, right? Like It's not like they're going to go play – in san francisco and then they come back home right after that um but a little, a little bit of an odd quirk uh, but nonetheless hopefully you take care of business against the tigers and then the rockies are just awful i think last i heard chris bryant is hurt again um in what's going to be the worst signing in a long long time in free agency i mean they, they just don't have anything there uh, but overall seven games you hopefully you win at least four five six of them and and just keep it rolling uh, so, Scott, I didn't know this until you just said it. I looked it up while, we, while you were talking. The Braves last played in Detroit in 2013. That's a oh, long wow. time. <laughs> uh, wow, I was thinking. I mean, I knew it had been a while. You know, like you have like v- like vague recollections of of things, right? Um, I mean, well, that's, yeah, 10 but I, that's 10 years. I, mean, I was, was going to say this. They haven't played the Tigers at all since 2019. That's four years. They haven't played them. And the last two times they played the Tigers, the Tigers came to Atlanta in 2019 and they came to Atlanta in 2016. The Braves last went to Detroit in 2013. That was uh, before this podcast existed. So uh, it's been a while. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I'm looking, I'm, I'm double checking myself as we're talking, but I'm, I'm not seeing this in two different places where you can do ser- uh, sort of searches for box scores. And yeah, it seems like the last time they played in Detroit was in 2013. Yep. That's, that's hundred percent correct. So Yeah. That's insane to me, but you know that's uh, to your point. That's a good point, a good sort of fe- a feature of the of the new schedule. And uh, this is kind of a thing that people may not know. Like I, it's not that I grew up a Tigers fan, but my my dad grew up a Tigers fan. My dad's favorite baseball team is the 19, 1968 Detroit Tigers. So I heard about the Tigers my whole youth. Of course, I'm a Michigan fan too. There's a there's a reason for all of those things. It's my father, and uh, not that he's a Tigers fan now, but uh, I that was my my AL team growing up was the Tigers. And like, I never had to choose because that was like pre-interleague and all that stuff. But it was uh, very interesting to kind of look at this 
uh, and now not even knowing that they hadn't played them since, since 2013. So uh, by no means am I, uh, am I, are my allegiances compromised here, Scott, but I wanted to at least throw that out there because it's been a while and uh, a pretty interesting series against a team that's uh, honestly pretty bad. I was going to say your adulthood baseball fandom would be very, very different if you were a Detroit Tigers supporter. Yeah. Listen, um, uh, I, I have, uh, you know, I am a Falcons fan, so that's not that similar, I guess, but Falcons fandom is pretty torturous. So yeah. alas, here we are. When was uh, the last time the Detroit Tigers were good? Like, uh, well, they won the World Series. No, yeah, but what was that like? Two thousand and eight. I'm looking this up now on the podcast. They won the World I Series know. in two thousand. No, actually, they didn't win the World Series. They lost the World Series. Um, I'm an idiot. Um, they lost the series in twelve in two thousand six and two thousand twelve. So they were they were really good in the in the prime Miggy Cabrera years, early tw- early twenty ten. Yeah. So they were good for four years from twenty eleven to twenty fourteen. In fact, the Braves got swept in Detroit in 2013 when they went there. How about that? Mm. Uh, yeah. Of course, the Braves were not particularly, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, the Tigers have not been very good for almost 10 years now. They have not been yeah. good. I mean, they were fairly good in the second half of 2021. Remember they had that weird run where they were like, hey, the Tigers, here come the Tigers. And yeah. then that didn't really actually pan out to Fell flat. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, long story short, Tigers pretty bad. And the Rockies... Um, I have said, and I feel bad for Rockies fans, but um, that might be the franchise that I would like to be a fan of the least. They seemingly have no idea what they're doing at all times. And it's not like they've just been bad to like rebuild. They just can't figure out how to be good. They, that that yeah. the, Between the ownership's terrible in, 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 uh, in Denver, I'm sure they're going to sweep the Braves now. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the Rockies are, I mean, you're out there. It, they're, they're a punching bag and, and honestly, a deserved one. They've done nothing well for a long time. So. Yeah, they don't, they don't develop players. It's hard to develop pitching when pitching in course field, but they don't yes. develop and they just make the dumbest decisions. <laughs> right. That's what I mean, really. It's like their front like, office. I, I listen I listen to some podcasts like they're, you know, like effectively wild, some some national baseball and like they they're they're trying not to just dump on the Rockies all the time, but it like it, they make it very easy to just be like, guys, yeah. what are we what are we doing? Rockies, like come on. Yeah. Like I'm not saying it's easy to run a major league front office. But you're telling me that like some of the sharpest like fan minds and like writers from baseball prospectus and fan graphs, if you turn back the clock five years, you're telling me that group of folks couldn't run a better organization than what the Rockies are right now. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, anyway, couldn't be worse. No, it probably couldn't be. But yeah, the Braves have seven games this week. It's a very busy week. There is a there's one afternoon game just for Scott. It's a 1.10 p.m. Eastern time game on Wednesday. And then they have the weekend or some afternoon games as well. So if you are someone who likes that daytime baseball, there is a little bit of that this week. And uh, yeah, I mean, the Braves have played 65 games so far. By the end of this week, it'll be 72. They'll, they're nearing the halfway point of the season, and it's gone pretty well to this point. Scott, how are you feeling at the end of this podcast? Do you feel like you're going to die? Um, I'm doing okay. We'll see, uh, we'll see how the rest of the evening holds, but feeling all right, please. Um, when they do the 30 for 30 documentary on me, <laughs> we will, uh, we'll make sure to bookmark this podcast episode, but no, I, after missing the last couple of weeks, I was glad to be back. Keep hydrating, stay, uh, you know, stay off the injured list. I'm trying to power through now. Thank uh, you for doing that. Yeah. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, and a, a cool, uh, housekeeping note, I believe, um, for the series in, for the series in Detroit, um, Brandon Godden and Jeff Francoeur are going to be off for a couple of days. So Ben Ingram from Braves Radio is going to call the games, and he's joined by Peter Moylan. So kind of a, I mean, kind of an awesome opportunity for Ben, who is really, really good on the radio side. 
Um, and I think kind of cool that that Brandon uh, the the Brandon gets an opportunity to rest a little bit. I know um, Chip Carey used to call 162, other than the national telecast. And I always thought it was a little crazy that he didn't give himself a bit of a break during the year. So it'll be cool for, to hear Ben Ingram on play by play and Peter Moylan, especially as just a fill in analyst, has been terrific. Like I really like Moylan. I think he brings a lot to the booth, uh, a good balance of analysis, but also entertainment. So that'll be a great opportunity for those guys in Detroit. Good call. I should have mentioned that, and I'm glad you did as well. So that's good. Uh, something else to watch uh, this week, and uh, hopefully, opportunity for some wins for the Braves. I do think that if you were projecting something like a four, I think a five and two is probably like the median outcome this week, four and three, something like that between those two things, and with a, with a chance to be even better than that if they were to come out and play well over the next seven days. We'll have more podcast content coming as well. Scott, where can folks follow you on the Twitter machine now that you're back? Stockholman 55. Yeah, Brad, happy to be back, man. I am I am just <laughs> thinking about how tired I am and happy to be home. I have some homesickness, so happy to be here. Yeah, Scott's back. And uh, in, in July, I know there's at least one where I will not be here. So Scott can pay me back by uh, hosting a podcast in July. Where I, will, I will not be a part of it. So we'll get into all that later. But please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast, places like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, um, anywhere you get podcasts. We should be there. Leave five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, check out all of our other shows on this feed, Daily Hammer with Sean, um, podcast we named later with Steven and Chris. We do a uh, decent job of keeping your feeds full with four, five, six episodes per week. So uh, we definitely appreciate everybody listening and clicking and telling friends about the podcast. Definitely. And also the written side, batterypower.com for all of your written Atlanta Braves needs. Thanks for everybody. See you all next time. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.